And the rest of us, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. One of the um, sessions that we attended out at the conference in California this year, the speaker stood up and said he was going to speak on Psalm 119. And we thought, oh, great. You know, good, good message. On, I wonder which verse he's going to choose. I think there's 175 verses or something like that. In the, and so he proceeded to read Psalm 119, and by about verse 11, all of us started looking at each other, saying, surely he's not going to read this whole thing. But he did. It took him about 15 minutes, and he read every verse of Psalm 119, and then went on to adequately teach the, the chapter, the whole chapter. And it was, it was a, a great message. And uh, oftentimes, we don't like to sit and listen to reading because we want to get to the meat of whatever's happening, but I'm going to do that a little bit to you this morning. Um, so I'm, I'm warning you ahead of time. I'll be reading for a longer uh, period than you're used to, maybe. But I'd like to actually read two full chapters in 2 Corinthians, because these two chapters, um, I'm going to be pulling from both chapters this morning in the topic that I'm going to be covering. And so I'd like you to just kind of sit back, relax, open your Bibles, and, and soak in these words uh, of Paul as he's writing to the church at Corinth. <clears throat> now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability... And beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not only as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Consequently, we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love which, uh, in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that through his poverty you might become rich. And I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, that just as there was a readiness uh, to desire it, so also there may be the completion of it by your ability." For if the readiness is present, it's acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their want, that their abundance may also become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. 
As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. And we have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread throughout all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness taking precaution that no one should discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. For it is superfluous, superfluous, sorry, superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, that as I was saying, you may be prepared, lest if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, should be put to shame by this confidence." So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, and he gave to the poor. His righteousness abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray and I'm going to crack this open this morning. Father, thank you for all that we have received through the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, good gifts which flow from our Father above and Lord, we couldn't even begin to number them this morning. I pray as we approach uh, these passages 
and begin to understand what it is you require of us by way of giving, that you would help us, you'd, uh, give us good understanding, clear understanding from your word, and uh, help, Lord, us to be challenged in our hearts this morning about our relationship to this important task as your grace flows through us in this, um, this awesome gift of, of giving to the saints. And pray that you'd bless our time together as uh, we go through it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some topics that are hard to preach about, and this one is one of those. It's no exception, uh, because this morning I'd actually like to talk to you about giving, financial giving, uh, money. And it's, it becomes difficult because, obviously, when you give, some of that money goes to me. And so um, I can stand up here and pontificate, but I want to let you know from the beginning uh, that whatever I'm saying to you, I am saying to myself, we're in this together. And were it not me standing up here, it would be somebody else and the responsibilities would be the same. Um, And by giving, I mean the financial responsibility of every believer to be supporting the work of the ministry of his or her church. Uh, This is an obligation that every one of us has. This would include our regular giving. Uh, We just had an offering where the plates came around. And uh, this is how we do it at our church, how we uh, collect funds and finances from the saints for the work of the ministry. Also includes special offerings, would include gifts to missionaries, would include regular gifts to missions and other organizations that we feel are worthy of our support as a church, and we'll talk to you about those things from time to time. So we're talking about giving, actually um, donating money for these purposes. And let's just be honest from the start. Uh, Giving is not only hard to talk about, it's hard to do. I don't think any one of us in here would disagree with that statement, but the plain fact is we love our money. And anytime anybody asks us to part with some of it, there's this innate resistance to that. We don't like it. We don't like thinking about not having as much as we could have uh, because we're giving some of it away. Um, Call it a love of money. Call it part of our flesh. Call it whatever you like, but it's there. And I think until we acknowledge it and and realize what it is um, and get over it somehow, we're never going to be in a place where we're giving the way that God expects us to. Um, So before I get into the principles, and I'm actually going to share 10 of them with you this morning, so you might want to get out a piece of paper and a pen. Um, This isn't going to be an easy three-point outline to remember. There's a lot in these two chapters, and I'm just going to, I've kind of picked out what I feel are the highlights and the things that we need to know that will help us in our understanding of why we give and and how to give and and what our real responsibility is um, in it. And before I do that, I just want to ask you a question, and that is, where are you in your relationship to giving to the church? Only you can answer that question. And so you know, um, the way that we have our church organized here as a staff, I have no clue what you give, just like you have no clue what I give unless I tell you. And... Yeah, that's by design. I don't want to know. Um, there are churches where the pastor is very involved in the, the details of what, uh, what people give, but 
We find that that's uh, got some conflict of interest when that happens. So just so you're aware, um, both Pastor Dan and I don't know, and we never look at the, uh, we, we know the bottom line, you know, what the church takes in every year, but we don't know what each individual gives. Um, only one person does, and that's our treasurer. But where are you in your thought toward giving? Maybe you're a brand new Christian and you've never really given it any thought. And you, you have never done it and you don't know what's involved. Uh, and this is all brand new. Maybe you're new to Fellowship Bible Church or new to the idea of giving. Maybe you're no longer a teenager, but now in your early 20s, and you're seeing that there's a responsibility, but you're not quite sure what to do with it. You see people dropping envelopes and money in the plates every week, but it, it's kind of uncomfortable or embarrassing because you're just not sure what to do, a little intimidated by it. Um, maybe you're a leftover giver. So you spend what you need to spend, and whatever you have left over in your pocket, you drop it in the plate as it goes by. Um, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've just never really settled in your heart what to do about this whole idea of giving and what you should do um, before God. And so it's kind of a hit or miss thing. You know, when, when you have a little more, you give a little more. When you have a little less, you give a little less, but it's not consistent and it's not really thought through. Um, or maybe you are a generous giver, according to New Testament principle. Whatever your station is, um, whatever your position is, whatever your status is in relationship to giving, I hope that this morning will stimulate and challenge our hearts and our thinking about this awesome responsibility. And that's exactly what it is. It's an awesome responsibility. Um, it's completely different than, uh, the, than the way that the world thinks about um, donations and things. And so what I'd like to do with you this morning is to explore these ten principles of New Testament giving, and hopefully these principles taken as a whole can help provide you with a foundation and support for your thoughts and your actions uh, about giving. So before I get into the 10, uh, let me just lay a little bit of groundwork with you to explain um, or help avoid misunderstandings about the application of these principles. First, what I'm going to tell you this morning applies to believers only. Okay, this is not uh, a general principle for every person in the world. This is unique to the church. And so if you are saved, if you're born again, and you belong to the church of Jesus Christ because of your faith, this applies to you. If you happen to be visiting this morning and you have no clue what I'm talking about when I say salvation or being saved or being born again, this does not apply to you. And when the offering plate went around just a few minutes ago, you were not obligated at all. Uh, to put anything in, um, and the pressure isn't there. I'd like you to look um, at a couple of verses with me in 1 John 3. You can keep your finger in 2 uh, Corinthians because we're going to be in and out of those two chapters quite a bit. But 1 John chapter 3, Actually, uh, 
Go to Third John. <laughs> That's what I wanted, not First John. I put First John three, but I meant Third John. Sometimes I type too fast. Okay, I want you to just listen carefully to what he says here. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. And I was very glad when the brethren came and bore witness to your uh, truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they bear witness to your love before the church. And you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. In the same way, this church is not a business. We're not here to make a profit. We're not here to earn money in the same way that we would earn money from a, a business or a job or a career. And we don't uh, go out into the community and solicit funds from the community. The church should be supported by its people, by the saints of God. That's the way it has been. It's the way God instructed us to do it, and it's the way we will continue to do it here. Second um, Corinthians chapter 6 Again, provides a little bit of a background for this idea. You're familiar with these verses, starting in verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from, amongst, uh, from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. You will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And so there's, there's a distinct nature that belongs to the church of Jesus Christ, which is different from every other organization in the world. And really, you've heard it said, the church is not an organization as such. It's an organism. It's a body. It's a living thing. As God dwells in us and we come together, our, um, our fellowship together and our love for the Lord and our worship distinguishes us as a church uh, of believers in Jesus Christ. And so, like I said, we don't go out soliciting funds from unbelievers to support the work of the ministry um, of Jesus Christ. Um, so that's, that's number one. Two, realize that when you give as a Christian, ultimately your giving goes to God. So there's a, there's a lot of ways that our giving can flow, right? Um, one way was this morning, uh, which we had an offering, which is going to go into the general fund of our church, Fellowship Bible Church. You can give to individuals, you can give to organizations, Christian organizations that are doing a work. And ultimately, you have to think about the fact that the money that you give ultimately goes to the Lord. Um, and, and that's scriptural to think about it that way. Look at Proverbs chapter 19. Verse 17. 
simply says, he who is gracious to a poor man does what? Lends to the Lord. So the giving, in this case, which is going to help somebody in poverty, he, uh, Solomon is saying that, that that money is actually going to the Lord. The Lord's going to use that money in the life of that person to flow his grace and his blessing into that person's life. And that's what happens when we give. When we give, uh, whether it's directly to the church, which I'll talk about in a second, or to an individual, or to an organization, or a mission organization, or a missionary, all that money ultimately goes to God in that sense. Um, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said it a different way. Verse 17. You know this account as he's talking to his disciples about the tribute money that belongs to Caesar. He says, tell us therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? So this question was given to the Lord Jesus Christ to try to trip him into saying something that would be offensive, that they could use against him. Jesus, as always, understood that that was the case. And said in verse 18, Jesus perceived their malice and said, why are you testing me? You hypocrites, show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And so as we give, once again, you're giving to God himself. And that needs to be a part of, of how we think. Um, Kind of in a negative fashion, look at Acts chapter 5. It's the same idea, but um, didn't turn out so well for Ananias and Sapphira. So in this case, a husband and wife had sold some property, was giving the proceeds of the sale to the church, and they were laying it at the apostles' feet, but somehow in their heart... They kept back a portion of it. And I don't think it was just the fact that they kept back a portion of it for themselves. I mean, te technically, it was their property. They could keep all of it if they wanted to. But they were giving it as if they were giving the whole proceed, and they were lying about it. And that was, that was the issue. So there was selfishness and pride and lying involved in all of this. But uh, when it comes down to verse 4 in Acts 5, Peter is rebuking them, and he says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And that's where I kind of get the idea. If they, had, if they had just kept it or sold it and kept the profit, it would have been fine. And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Yes, it was. Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? God. So once again, I'm just trying to share, share this concept that our giving, you know, sometimes we, we put money in the plate or we give to a certain organization and we, we kind of keep a string on it and we want to know where it goes and we want to, you know, be in charge to a certain degree. But just realize when you give to the church or you give to a mission organization or for the work of God in general, that's, you're giving to God, you know, and he's ultimately the one who's going to be controlling what happens um, with those funds and, and building the work of God. So, just realize that you're giving to God. Third thing before we get to the ten. Giving is an obligation of every Christian. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are obligated. You're commanded to give. No exceptions. Um, 
And to not give, to neglect to give, even according to the New Testament principles that we're going to look at this morning, is a matter of disobedience. And then, uh, fourthly, the primary focus of our giving should be our local church. Um, I'm not going to get into the detail of that right now and, and expound on it, but every principle that we're going to learn this morning came from a letter of the Apostle Paul written to a church. And um, the church was what God used all through the New Testament to accomplish his work. There was always the establishment of churches, the building of churches, the discipleship that went on within the churches. And so our focus of our giving should always be our church, my church. I belong to Fellowship Bible Church. This is my church, and so the focus of my giving should be here. Um, and there's, there, there are a ton of organizations that are clamoring for a piece of my financial empire. And there's hundreds and thousands of organizations that I could give to, but I need to be careful, and I need to evaluate, and I need to prioritize, and my priority needs to be here. Um, and, and we'll, so as we go through these principles, these, these things should be the backdrop of uh, what we're about to say. So here we go. I'm going to go through it rather quickly. We're kind of running out of time because of things we've done this morning. I want to dwell on this first one just for a couple of minutes and really let it sink in. Number one, first principle of New Testament given. Number one, giving is the extension of God's grace through you. Giving is the extension of God's grace through you. I want you to look at how many times this word pops up in those two chapters. 2 Corinthians 8. Verse 1, brethren, we wish to make to known to you the grace of God. He's talking about the gift of the Macedonians, but that gift, he refers to it as the grace of God. Verse 7, um, we've inspired in you so that you abound in this gracious work. It's the grace of God when you give. Verse 9, for you know the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through your poverty, that through his poverty, you might become rich. And so we look at the humbling of Jesus Christ as an act of grace, the giving of his life as an act of grace, which we receive and we receive gladly, that, that we understand the salvation that comes to us through that grace. Giving is the same thing. It's, it's a gracious work. Verse 8 of chapter 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Verse 14, they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. So you see this, this concept flowing through this um, passage. And I just want to make this practical. Now, I've heard stories, you have too, of people who talk, give testimony of the grace of God in their life. And you probably could do the same thing this morning. If I asked you, has God shown his grace to you in your life? Financially? Has God given you grace? Probably every one of us would raise our hand and say, yes, absolutely. I remember hearing stories when I was in college about kids who were failing and paying their college bill. And all of a sudden, they'd go to the post office and... Bam, there's, a, there's an envelope with their name on it sitting in, the, sitting in the mailbox, and they open it up, and, you know, it's a check. Somebody wrote them a check, or there's cash in that envelope, and, and it's, it's just enough to supply the need for that, that semester. 
and their bill was paid. Or you, in, in circumstances in life, can probably point to points at which you know God helped you. God gave you what you needed at that moment so that you could survive, whether it's, you know, you needed food or you needed a vehicle or you needed more income or you needed something, and God provided that for you. But where did it come from? Every single time it came through people. Last I looked, God doesn't rain dollar bills from heaven. Every time God's gift to you comes... It comes through the gracious gift of somebody else. It's always through people. I don't care what it is. If you're talking about a job, God provided you a job with greater income. Where's that job come from? People. You say, ah, I own my own business. Fine. Where does your income come from? People. It's always through people. God's grace, this grace of giving you need to realize that this is how God does it. This is how God exercises his grace. It's always through people. And when we give, God now is flowing his grace right through you into the life of another person. We always like to be the recipients of that grace. Right? I mean, it's great when extra things come our way or something happens right in the nick of time when we needed it or, and we can testify to the grace of God. But somebody was behind that. God was active in the life of somebody for that money to flow into your account. And and Paul was very clear about this, even when he talked about equality, right? He's talking about the Macedonians who who were sacrificing beyond their ability to help out the saints. And he says, when they come to you, you need to be ready to give back to them. Grace flows both ways. And so we like to be the recipient of it, sure. But this is not, giving is not just an individual thing. It's a spiritual exercise. And this is how God exercises his grace. So as money is given, it's used for the work of the ministry. And that work of the ministry flows right into the lives of other people. They're blessed by God, but that grace is extended to them through you. And this is an important, important thing. And whether they know where the money comes from or not, we don't always know where it comes from. It doesn't matter. What did Jesus say? When you give... Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, right? Just give and trust to a certain degree that the money is going to find its way to where God wants it to go. So number one, giving is the the extension of God's grace through you. And of all of them, that's probably the most important one, I think. Two, anyone can give regardless of economic condition. And you say, you don't know mine. You don't know how much debt I'm in. You don't know how little money I have to spend. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know. That's true. I don't know unless you tell me. And no one else will know unless you tell them. God knows. He knows all of our situations and we're all different. But he provides for all of us at whatever level we're at. You know the story of the widow's might. Jesus was pointing out the fact that here's these wealthy men coming to dump all this money in the temple offering. And here's this widow who comes in and she puts in two pennies. And what did he say about her? This woman has given more than all of these wealthy people put together because she gave not out of her abundance, but out of her lack. She gave out of her living, it says. And all I'm saying is if she can give, so can you. 
It's a requirement. It's an obligation. Even in this passage, look at verse 2 of chapter 8. How did the Macedonians give? Read the words. That in a great ordeal of affliction. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? That was their condition. That was their, their circumstance. They were in an ordeal of affliction because they didn't have a lot. Their abundance of joy and their deep what? Poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. How were they able to give? Say they, they, they were in an ordeal of affliction and they were poor. And yet, somehow, they were able to give. And I say again, if they are able to give, so are we. There's no economic condition that you can be in where you can't give. If you're wealthy, beware of pride. That can creep in and, and we can say, you know, this church is here because, because of me. I'm kind of floating everything right now. No, God doesn't need any one of us individually. He needs us to be obedient to him is what he needs what he requires. It's God who puts you there if you're a wealthy person. God gave you your birth, your parents, your upbringing, your education, the opportunities that came along your way. That came from God. And be careful about saying that it was you. And if you're not wealthy, beware of envy. If only, if only I had, and we fill in the blank, if only I had an extra thousand dollars, if only I had an extra ten grand per year, then I'd be able to whatever. And we, we attach all these conditions and numbers and things to it. It was God who placed you there too. We're all in the place that we are in because of the sovereignty of God. It's up to us to be good stewards of what he's given to us. Not to be proudful and not to be envious. Anyone can give and every believer must give. Third, before giving to the Lord financially, you must be willing to give yourself to God first. That's what it says in verse 5, chapter 8, verse 5. And this, not as, we had or, uh, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. There's a, there's a prioritizing here. Before you give money, you have to give yourself to God. Meaning what? Your time, your ambitions, your talents, your strengths, your gifts need to be in your heart given to God. Romans 12.1 right, says that our bodies need to be a living sacrifice to, God, to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Is this a reasonable request by God for him to ask all of us to give everything? Sure. What did he give? Himself. Didn't we just celebrate that? Christ gave himself for you and for me. And we gladly receive the forgiveness and the, and the salvation that he offers and the eternal life. Of course it's right of him to ask that we give ourselves. He gave us everything. I mean, we wouldn't be here. God created all. He made you. He made me. We belong to him. Of course it's everything we have is his. He sacrificed his eternal glory, Christ did, to come to this earth and, and give himself. He gave up his life, as we know, as a sacrifice for sin. And so before anything comes out of our pocket, it has to come out of our heart first. 
Okay, that's number three. Four, giving must be sacrificial. In other words, giving should hurt. Sorry to say it that way, but this is, this is part of the requirement, obligation of a believer. Again, I, I refer you back to the generosity of the Macedonians in, in the first part of this chapter where it talked about their ordeal of affliction. This wasn't easy for them. I'm, I'm sure they had the same thought processes that we do. Can we really afford to do this? What's going to happen? Where am I going to get the money for X, Y, Z? Their deep poverty. Look at verse 3. I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability. What is that talking about? It's how they gave. This wasn't just, I've got a, f- a couple extra dollars left in my pocket this week, and so I'm going I'm to give it. This was, they thought through very deeply about what they were about to do. And, and it was a sacrificial gift. And, and man, I just, I just want to touch it. We live in such a pampered society. You stop and think. You say, well, I've got expenses. What are your expenses? One of my big expenses is my house. And you know, I have natural gas flowed into my house so I don't have to cut down trees. And I don't have to split wood. And I don't have to make fires to stay warm. And so I spend thousands of dollars every year so gas can be pumped into my house. So do you, probably. Maybe you're a wood burner, I don't know. Got to stay warm. Say this is, this is a necessity. Of course it is. But just think about how we live, guys. We are, we are pampered beyond reasonability sometimes. We have electricity flowing into our house so that all of our appliances can run. What would we do without it? People survived for a few millennia before electricity came along, and now we say we're so dependent on this, but what do we pay for it? How big is your electric bill? We pay a lot of money for this. A lot of our income goes toward these these things, which which have become necessities in our life. But think about it. All I'm saying is think about it. Air conditioning, television, hair dryers, dishwashers, Washing machines, cable TV, cell phones, newspapers delivered to our house. A lot of a chunk of our cash goes to these things. Would we as willingly give to God's work as we do to our own life? Which is quite pampered, I think. Okay, I'll stop. Five, giving must be generous. Uh, Look at verse two. That in a great ordeal of affliction, they are what? Say it out loud. Abundance. What does that mean? It means a lot. Right? Look at verse 7. Just as you, what? Abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and earnestness and love, we inspired in you. See that you also abound in this gracious work, giving. Abound in it. What's the word mean? Look at verse 14. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their want. Verse 20. Taking precaution that no one should discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. So just look at the words that are used. I'm saying there's a principle here. That whatever, uh, whatever we give, 
It needs to be generous. So what's the formula? How do you figure out how much to give? Sorry, can't give that out. Secret information. You'll have to pay me for it. Kidding. What is generous? You've got to figure that one out on your own. I have to figure that out on my own because my situation is different than yours and yours is different than mine. And so whatever, whatever position we're in, we need to figure out what is abundant, what is generous, and, and do that. Um, there's one sense in which we really should give everything to God, right? We, we belong to him. There's another sense in which God already owns everything that we have. Without him, we would have nothing. And we can't have competing loyalties. We can't serve God in money, Jesus said. And so what is generous? There's no formula to apply here. The idea of what is generous in your financial circumstances has to come from you being in prayer with God and understanding what God has given and let him help you decide what that is. But the principle is the same. It's generous. Six, giving must be thought through and planned before it's done. It should not be an afterthought. It can't be an afterthought. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. Let each one of you do just as he has done what? Purposed in his heart, which means you've thought about it. You can't purpose something without thinking it through. There needs to be purpose behind it. What are you going to give? How much are you going to give? If you're married, you need to talk about this with your spouse. Right? It's got to be purposed, and it should be the first thought whenever income comes into our lives, not the second thought. It should be the first. We get a raise, the first thought should be giving. A gift, our first thought should be giving to the Lord. It's just, it should be a part of our, our financial thinking, um, and it needs, to be, it needs to be done. It needs to be thought through quickly. Seven, giving must be something that's done from the heart, or it should not be done at all. Um, several references in here talk about the heart. Uh, chapter 8, verse 2, um, talking about their, their deep poverty overflowing and the wealth of their liberality and them giving themselves over to the Lord uh, by the will of God. Um, verse 7, we just mentioned, let each one of you do as he's purposed in his heart. And so giving should be from the heart or, or just shouldn't be done. And it needs to be done, so your heart needs to be right. That's the point about it. Eight, giving must be done according to your ability. Um, can't use the excuse, I'm unable. We already went over that. And uh, don't go through the, if I win the lottery, then I would give dot, dot, dot. Okay, you're not going to win the lottery. Just get over it. <laughs> don't think about giving what you don't have. Would I like to write a check to somebody for $25,000? That would be so much fun. It really would. Somebody unsuspecting, you know, they had a little need in their life, and you give them a check for $25,000, you watch their face. And you say, are, are you kidding me? I can't do that in my circumstances right now because I don't have it. Don't think about giving what you don't have. Think about giving what you do have. Give according to your ability. And even beyond it, right? Isn't that what the Macedonians did? Verse 3, I testify according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave of their own accord. And this isn't a call to be foolish. And this isn't a call for faith giving where 
You know, you say, all right, I'm going to give $10,000 by May 31st when you don't have it. That's foolishness. Don't get caught up in that. Right? A lot of the faith givers ask you to do something like that. You know, just believe that God's going to supply this so that you can give it. No. Give according to your ability. And even if you think you're giving to according to your ability, you probably have more ability than you think, I think is what this verse is really talking about. Don't compare your level of giving with anyone else. How do you think the, the, the woman would have felt in the midst of all these wealthy guys coming and dumping their gold into the temple offering? And here she just had two little coins, and that's all she gave. She compared it, and she could have just walked away and said, this means nothing. This is so little. It's not, it's not going to even have, it's, it's going to be like a fly on, on the back of an elephant. It's, it's, it's not worth it. It is worth it. It's always worth it. Giving, it's, it's the grace of God that comes, comes through you when you do it. Nine, giving will result in the blessing of God. Get that and, and link on to it. Giving will result in the blessing of God. Look at chapter 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Right? And he will. God is able. And if you are faithful in giving... He will be faithful in blessing. We made it a point at the beginning of our married life to give. And I have checked my heart all along the way. I don't give so that I get back. When I give, I give. I give it to the Lord, and I give it so that he can use it for whatever purposes he deems fit. And I'm not expecting, if I give $5, that somehow God's going to give me back 10 or even five. I'm not expecting anything back, but I, I can tell you and I can testify to you over and over and over again how God has blessed us. We own a house. We have two cars. We've put one child through college. We're putting another child through college. We go on vacations. We go out to eat. And technically, if you look at our income level, you're going to go, huh? This doesn't add up but I can tell you that the blessing of God flows through our life. It has all along. And people have been generous to us. The grace of God has come to us. Sometimes we have no clue how. It just does. But God is great. And God has taken care of us. And I'm not saying it's a one-to-one relationship like, you know, in a and this, I, I want to avoid this thought at all costs. I'm not giving to God so that I can gain. It's not the point. But you need to understand that if you are a faithful giver, you can't outgive God. His blessing will flow to you. God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And God will supply our need and our want. And the last thing I'll say in, ver- in number 10, you have to realize that you cannot outgive God. Obviously. We don't have as much as him. So I come back to my original question to you, and I'll close here. Where are you in your relationship to giving to the church? Do you understand the principles that God has given to us, that it's God's grace that flows through you? that we need to be giving sacrificially, we need to be giving generously, we need to be thinking through what we give and not an afterthought. 
and all these things combined together. I hope that they challenge us and, they, and, and you see how important you are and how important I am as an individual in the church to be giving and supporting the work of the ministry. So hopefully that's been a challenge to you. Sorry for going a little late today. Um, let's have a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask the men to come back so that we can show the grace of God to people through the fellowship fund. All right, let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for being our provider, for being our God and the great giver of everything that we have. And I pray, Lord, that we would not hesitate when it comes to our responsibility to give to the work of the ministry. And I thank you for that privilege. I thank you for the way that your grace will flow through the church, through the people of our church, to others. And just ask that you'd help us all to be involved the way that we should be according to these principles. And uh, just pray for your blessing to flow through it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to have the men.